This is Jamal. This is your boy, Adrian. Yo, this is Michael. Thanks for tuning in to The Daily Jam. Welcome back to the Daily Jam for our last episode of the season. Fellas, how y'all feeling? Man, this has been a long road and season already. Oh my, yes it has, and it's been uh, quite interesting. <laughs> it has, <laughs> to been, say the least. It's been, it's been a good ride. We hope you're enjoying it's it It's been a great ride. It's been thrilling, like a roller coaster. I think so. <laughs> All right, so before we get into our topic, as we normally do, what's on your mind? going on oh my gosh so every time i leave the house the kids always ask where i'm going and as a as that old school part of me um because i had foster parents that i would ask and they would tell me none of your damn business um i kind of adopted that in a way uh so every time they ask where i'm going i'm like "Mm, none of your business i'm an adult i'm grown leave me alone but the true reason why i tell them is because i'm normally going to the store when i leave and I refuse to take them because every time we go to the store, they ask for everything in the store. And I don't want the headache of saying no for 50 minutes. <laughs> you so, are endearing yourself to our listeners as a terrible, terrible father. So <laughs> You sound like you don't like your kids. Hey, my kids are also allergic to peanut butter and I buy Reese's cups so they don't have to ask for them. Listen, I just, I do. This is things that I do, right? Wow. Um, but yeah, I do. I mean, but I get it. They're concerned. They want to hang out with dad. But um, I just, I want to get in and out of the store. I don't want to have to. I get that. I understand that. Any longer than I have to be there. The response I usually get is uh, sometimes where you're going, uh, work or school or something to that effect. But uh, if I, if I could, uh, what, what did I used to say? If I tell you, I had to kill you. Mm. <laughs> really? Talk about me. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, that says that. I am a Christian. Mm-hmm. And that and you I'm kill children. Heaven. I don't kill children. But if you told them stuff, you would kill them. Yes. Stay in a child's place. <laughs> These are all jokes, folks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't think, I don't, I, kids are curious. That's not and funny. I, and kids often, are curious. And oftentimes they actually just want to tag along. Um, so yeah. I don't have an issue with that. But then they get disappointed when, they t- when you tell them no. Yeah. I don't want to see that hey. sob face. That's a part of life. Or come up with a line as some, find out a place that they really don't like to go and just always say that's where you're going so that mm-hmm. they'll, they'll decide <laughs> to stay at home. <laughs> like, where are you going? I'm going to a library. I'm good. You guys are <laughs> missing the opportunity to connect with your children because they really just want to hang out. And I think that's great. What because kid wants to hang out with their parents? The kids who ask you where you're going and, and that, you know, wants to go with you. They don't want to go with they you. Wanna they want to go, go to that place. Right. They want to go for arterial motives. They just need a mode of transportation. Well, my kids actually liked, enjoyed being with me. No, like arterial arteri- motive is if I go with dad to the store, I can get something. Yeah. And that's the wonderful way, you know, we kind of talked a couple episodes ago about, you know, money, money, and, money, money. and things like that. Yes. You can get anything you want with your money. And so make sure you bring it with you. Yeah. I remember my son one time, uh, we went to the store and he wanted something, he had forgotten his money. And so I did what, you know, my uncle and aunt, I learned from them, you know, I would uh, give him an advance. Um, you know, it was kind of like that payday loan. Yep. I'll do it right now. I think the item cost maybe 10 bucks. I said, well, but you're going to have to give me $20 when you get home. You could either wait till the next time we come to the store and pay $10 or you can get it now and pay me $20. And he was young, and because I first tried, you know, with the interest rate, whatever the yeah. current interest rate, and it that was so little that yeah. it didn't really make a difference. So I kept going up until I, I was literally doubling, and <laughs> he was still willing to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Instant gratification. Ah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what's on my mind today is that I am truly, truly excited. We just returned back from a great conference uh, in Oklahoma, a great teen conference, where we did a great presentation yes. on creating a soundtrack for your life, and where we use the power of music to illustrate to young people what's yeah. going on. In their lives and so that was really really fun and the youth were amazing they were thoughtful and engaging and so that's what's on my mind today and so hopefully we'll they'll bring us back out there to Oklahoma and also if you're out there and want more information about that creating the soundtrack in your life hit us up on our website www.the2020exp.com and be on the lookout awesome. uh, for, on the Daily Jam Facebook page because I've posted some um, some video of Adrian on the uh, roller coasters with the children <laughs> <laughs> I love theme parks I'm cool that's why that's you people funny. like me that's What's on your mind today, Mike? 
You know, it's actually been a few months uh, since the murder of Nipsey Hussle, you know, and of course the social media posts and things have slowed down. Um, I wonder, you know, kind of uh, how the family is doing, you know, his children, uh, his wife. A lot of times we don't think about that. There's a lot of hype right after, you know, the event. Um, But then everybody kind of gets back to their normal life and we have been for like a few months. And so... You know, Lauren, London, and uh, their children um, are, are, have kind of been on my mind, and I'd, I'd really hope that they're doing well. Yeah, and that has always concerned me uh, when the high-profile cases, I've kind of always thinking about what happens to the families uh, afterwards. In this particular case, um, this was actually a trigger for a lot of uh, Nipsey Hussle fans and non-Nipsey Hussle fans about someone who it seemingly everyone could relate to in the terms of, We've, he had some mistakes. He had this type of lifestyle, but he literally came back and tried to fix his community. And then his life was snatched away, like in a blink of an eye for someone who was trying to do their, who was literally walking the walk and talking the talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it actually reminded a lot of people what was going on in their individual lives and also reminded people of some fa- folks that have been lost in their own families to gun violence and gang violence. And so it, I remember seeing a lot of stuff on social media uh, about what that loss has meant to them on a very, very personal level level and how triggering it was yeah. um, for the loss of Nipsey Hussle. Yeah. And so it's like this, this first season has kind of come full circle. We actually started our very first episode uh, with kind of what's on your mind with talking about the Nipsey Hussle um, murder. And it, you know, just recently happened at that particular point in time. And now uh, a couple of months removed, um, you know, we're kind of coming back to that, wondering how their family is doing and hoping that, you know, the kids and, and Lauren are, are adjusting um, to what their new life will actually be. And kind of a little bit of forward thinking, I, it is going to be interesting next year's at the Grammy. You know how they always do in the in memoriam mm-hmm. yeah. and how in, you know, if he makes it in there. Oh, I expect that he will make it in there, but. I would actually be surprised if he made it in the Grammys one. I think the BET Awards, BET Awards definitely, definitely will. BET Awards definitely will. I mean, Grammy. I mean, and I think that his, is. I mean, he does, a lot of people listen to his music. He, well, he's going to make the, he's going to make the photo list of artists lost. I expect that BET, you know, he'll make a, they'll have some type of tribute or something like that. But I mean, this yeah, is a huge, huge loss. And I, I, I honestly, even though we're like, you know, a few weeks removed from it, I don't. I honestly don't even under, get that. I don't know if we've understood the full impact of this loss even yet because it is still mm-hmm. so fresh. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I think we had said at the beginning of the season, um, where you talked about any time that you can get rival gangs, the police, politicians to all mourn your loss, that's pretty profound. And mm-hmm. I just don't also, and the little devil's advocate and caveat to that is that I don't want people to hijack his work and his name and say that they're doing it in the memory of Nipsey Hussle and then it th- and his his life and his focus kind of gets um, kind of gets distorted. Yeah. And people yeah. kind of take it on for themselves. Essentially like becoming a martyr and then making it their own, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people who had, you know, promised to kind of do things differently and so uh, it'll kind of be interesting to see if, um, you know, uh, as, as the young people say, that people keep that same energy. Yeah, keep you know, the same several, yeah. several months removed way as they had when they had it. All right. So that was What's On Your Mind. When we come back, we'll get into Did You Know? Stick around. You're listening to The Daily Jam. Hello, Jam listeners. If you're enjoying this episode of the podcast, imagine if you heard it live and in person. That's right. The Daily Jam does more than educate and entertain you here on your favorite podcast streaming services. We offer keynote presentations, workshops, training and consulting services, You can find out more information and get in contact with us on our website at www.the220exp.com. That's www.the220exp.com. Or you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at TDailyJam. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back to the Daily Jam. Before we get into today's topic, let's go. Did you know, fellas, did you know... My home state of Ohio, and Jamal, your home state, and Michael, you've actually lived there for a while too. So you, I did. You were like Ohio adopted. Uh, <laughs> That's right. They adopted me. Did you know that Ohio uh, ranked last in terms of child welfare funding? But the new administration, which is very interesting, uh, because it's a Republican administration, mm-hmm. is actually planning to double the investment in child welfare services to the tune of seventy-four million dollars in additional, new funding. Additional, additional, additional right. dollars. Yeah. 
Uh, it is good to point out, too, that uh, the governor of Ohio has always been a component of child welfare and families. So not let's not just take it. Child, families, too. He's been a huge supporter. He's uh, in, I think, every role of his career, from uh, the Senate to the attorney general, he's always been a big supporter. So this is not a surprise. Shout out to Mike DeWine. Yeah, I think the governor is rec- has always recognized. In fact, when he was sworn in, he ex- he signed in six new executive orders uh, uh, right after midnight, and uh, a lot of those had to focus on um, children's initiatives. So establishing a cabinet-level position for his director of children's initiatives is also uh, promoting, uh, I believe, the Office of Children and Families. Um, um, so I think that this governor, this, uh, this administration appears to be like they're really trying to tackle a huge crisis in Ohio as it relates to child welfare and the number of kids uh, uh, being impacted by the child welfare system. So it remains to be seen how it's going to shake out. Um, And so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think while I do applaud what Governor DeWine, you know, has done to kind of increase funding, um, I think that unless uh, the system, you know, really has a fundamental cultural change and shift in how they think, um, that they'll just be spending a lot more money on the same bad services and not improve outcomes. Money um, doesn't necessarily improve the outcomes. And so um, oftentimes when we relegate it to just a financial issue and we don't change um, the culture and the services and we don't engage families more into figuring out what actually works, then we're just buying more of what doesn't work. And so I want to hopefully that Ohio is, is thinking about this and they're not just going to spend more on the same types of absolutely ineffective services. Yep. And that's our Did You Know segment. Um, stay tuned. Coming up, our topic of the day after this commercial break. Don't go anywhere. the same no matter time no place they don't understand that us kids are going to make some mistakes so to you other kids all across the land there's no need to argue parents just don't understand school shopping it was me my brother my mom oh my pop and my little sister all hopped in the car we headed downtown to the gallery mall my mom started bugging with the clothes she chose i didn't say nothing at first i just turned to my nose she said what's wrong this shirt cost twenty dollars i said mom the shirt is plaid with a butterfly collar the next half hour was the same old thing my mother buying me clothes from 1963 and then she lost her mind and did the ultimate I asked her for Adidas and she bought me zips. I said, Mom, what are you doing? You ruined my rep. She said, you're only 16. You don't have a rep yet. I said, Mom, let's put these clothes back, please. She said, no. You go to school. All right, fellas, today's topic, parenting teens. <laughs> parenting <laughs> teens. Boy, I, look, having two of them in my household, this is probably the hardest thing I've done in my life thus far. Before we get too deep into this, <laughs> this is our last episode of the season's listeners. And so we wanted to make sure that you understand that we have a, we're going to have a frank and honest dialogue and share with you our truths and our stories and, and you know, how we parent or how we were parented. And hopefully it provides to you um, some insights for you that you can uh, travel down memory lane and how you were raised and brought up, but also spark some ideas and interest on how you can um, do a better job um, with uh, raising teens in your home or those on, uh, that you work with. Mm-hmm. And so with that, let's get into it. Yeah. I think I think another disclaimer, too, that I want to make sure the audience hears is that these really are going to be our experiences and that, um, you know, parenting teens like Jamal had uh, alluded with, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult, you know, and because it worked for our teens isn't a guarantee that it's going to work for another teen. Um, and so we want to make sure that you kind of understand that we're not suggesting that you have to do it exactly like we've done it right. in order to kind of get the outcomes, you know, um, you'll hear the trial and error that we kind of made and had in order to kind of get to where we are. But you also hear that there were multiple um, things that we've actually tried. 
you know, before we kind of get to it. So let's kind of start. I mean, I, I think that, first of all, let's be honest, there are many different parenting styles. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think even the three of us um, are not all exactly the same, that we have uh, variations and differences in our style of parenting. And if you, depending on who you ask, what psychologists you ask, there could be anywhere from three to as many as seven different parenting styles that basically run the gamut from being an uninvolved parent um, or very, very permissive parent all the way to be an, an, an authoritative parent. Um, and then many places kind of on in between on the spectrum. And so there are a lot of different parenting styles, um, you know, how would you, how would you characterize your style? I, look, I still think I'm a novice parent. Even 15, <laughs> even 15 years in, in, in this game, I do. Because it's like I'm always thinking of after the fact, depending on what happens, why wow, I could have done that differently. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I don't have the I don't have all the answers, even though I do feel like um, I have some experience in helping to educate even foster parents on how to parent. So I try to use some of those principles that we use in child welfare yeah. under my own roof. And it has helped. Sure. But I still feel that there are times that I do slip and, you know, I get to that old school because I said so, but I recognize it and I try to change it. Like, okay, listen, this is the reason. This is why. Forgive me, I'm still, I'm still growing. So I'm learning. You apologize like to your, your kids yeah. and say, forgive me, I'm still growing. That's good. Like, listen, like, it takes a lot. Like, Dar <laughs> like Darius Lovehall said, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I just got all the questions. <laughs> Shout out to Neil Long. Holla at me. <laughs> <laughs> Love Josh's uh, reference. My parenting style has been described as being a gentle dictator. I am a firm believer in structure uh, and, and organized chaos um, in the sense of um, for providing kinship care to my young nieces and nephews as well as to um, a now prima donna preteen. I think the most important thing that I try to keep in mind is that that young person is a human being uh, and that they deserve um, just as much as respect as I, I um, am asking from them. So um, I have uh, certain strict rules and guidelines and principles that I absolutely believe that are non-negotiable. Um, number one being I'm the boss. That's it. Like at the end of the day, I'm the boss. But for the most part after that, um, everything's open to interpretation and negotiation. Yeah, that's interesting. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to um, some of the styles that, uh, or the limited number of styles that some folks say. There's actually a new one that really kind of talks about five uh, different parenting styles, and attachment parenting is one of those particular styles, um, you know, and a stink instinctive parenting. I think I'm maybe a cross between an attachment parent and an instinctive parent, and we'll talk a little bit more as we kind of get into this, and you can kind of see what what that uh, means, because those parenting styles aren't as popular um, as some of the other ones, you know, the permissive and the authoritative, authoritarian uh, parenting style. So, you know, I, I do think, I'll be honest, I'm not an expert in parenting. I have raised uh, two of my children, one is 26 and one is 23, along, of course, with the help of their lovely mother. Um, however, that does not make me an expert on all teens. Um, I have, you know, helped to parent and I was a kinship parent and, you know, helped to raise other folks. But I recognize that, you know, so that gives me a set of experience, but everybody has a set of experience. And so yep. um, I think it's, you know, important for us to kind of, you know, think about that. But I do think, you know, in my professional experience in working with parents, um, birth parents, biological parents, kinship parents, adoptive parents over the years, I've kind of noticed that there are some mistakes that we as parents often make um, in raising uh, young people. You guys think that there's some mistakes that we make? Absolutely. All the time. <laughs> yeah, Jamal has already admitted to you know, all the time. Several of his, and of course, you know, me as a parent, I've made several mistakes. I'm sure if you ask my children, they will probably name even a few more than the ones that I would name as well. And I'll tackle uh, one of them. And I think this is not only true for 
um, folks who are just growing up in a biological or fictive kin or relative placement, but I think this is a very, very huge issue in foster care and systems in general, is treating all kids the same. You know, that, that that's just not possible. Every human being, every young adult is their own person, has their own style, has their own personalities, has their own different ways of learning. And so I think that we do a very, very terrible job and disservice when we treat um, all kids the same and, and expect that uh, one parenting approach or one parenting style um, will fit all kids. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, I learned one thing I have learned and about being a parent of four children is being able to say the same message, give the same message and direction four different ways because they all take in information differently. But I had to, I had to learn that, you know, you give a, a 13 year old a directive and you give that, uh, the same directive to a seven year old that, that doesn't always click. So, and then here I am as a parent being upset and pissed off because the seven-year-old didn't do exactly what I asked to do. And I had to really, again, step back and say, uh, did she really understand what I asked? So you, do, you, do you have a, a daddy voice? I do. Because <laughs> I know that's, a, that's an effective tool right there. Now. Yeah, I do. And, you know, <laughs> but also on top of that is understanding when it is important to have individual time for each child. For me. You know, that's just. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that, you know, as, as, as parents, we, we do make, you know, a lot of mistakes because there's no, you know, one way to parent. You know, while there are a lot of parenting books and things like that, you know, children are going to be different, like Adrian had said. And so, you know, a parenting book or an approach or a style may work for this kid, but not guaranteed to work, guaranteed mm -hmm. to work for the next kid. I think a couple of others is that, you know, sometimes we forget as parents um, to understand that there's this thing called teen development. There, there are some things that are very, very normal for teenagers to actually do at different points in time. And so as a result, we sometimes have unrealistic expectations. So a real easy example, particularly for younger children, um, you know, you got a two-year-old um, or a three-year-old, we think about and talk about the terrible twos all the time, mm -hmm. and we'll take our two-year-old somewhere where you're supposed to be quiet, like church or, <laughs> the you know, man. any other place. <laughs> and then we expect them to sit there and be quiet for, you know, 45 minutes if you go to a white church, <laughs> three days, two hours and 46 minutes if you go to oh, a black Father church. God. And, uh, and oftentimes, you know, those that, are the ones with the three offerings, right? <laughs> plus the pastor's appreciation dinner coming up <laughs> and, and that's just a very unrealistic expectation I remember one time uh, our family had gone we had decided to do things differently for um, for holidays and so for Thanksgiving we had uh, we were living in, in Columbus at that time we took the children to um, Washington DC and so we were, you know, it actually was unseasonably nice this particular year. So we were out, you know, walking the, the mall and things like that. And we saw a long line of people. And so we asked, you know, what do you guys stand in line for? They said, oh, this is line to get in the White House. It was like, oh, that would be cool. We can kind of go tour the White House. And so we, you know, as parents, you ask the kids, hey, you guys want to go see the White House? And they was like, and my son was like maybe three at the time. He was like, what, what, what's the White House? I said, oh, that's where the president lives. And he was like, oh, okay. And so we thought that we communicate so they were playing with other little kids out in the grass and we were in line probably for a couple of hours I mean it was a long line long wait but they were playing they were having a good time we got in uh, the White House um, and started the tour and my son kept asking where the president was because he was thinking that we were going over somebody's house, house and they were supposed to be there. <laughs> that he was going to get to play with right um, and so I didn't recognize he was kind of thinking all of this and at the same time now it's his nap time he was, we were very consistent. We had a, uh, a schedule. He was used to nap. So now he's starting to kind of get cranky because he kept asking, where's the president? Now, this was during um, uh, the 42nd, what was William Jefferson Clinton, yes. 42nd president uh, of the United States. Good he kept job, asking Mike. me. And so, uh, you know, I... I you know, of course, I didn't know, so I kept making up things. You know how kids kept asking you. You didn't care. I would give them a different lying. answer. So one of the times, I was like, I don't know. He's probably somewhere with Monica Lewinsky. But, you know, shout out to Bill Clinton. You are my second favorite president. 
still love you, bro. But come on now, you you know you could take a joke. You're the man, <laughs> and you and you cool too. You cool as all get out. Um, but anyway, the, the point is, is that he ended up having a temper tantrum in the middle of the White House, of all places. Yeah. Secret service everywhere. <laughs> Everybody looking at you. People got the little things in the ear. Watch the family in Sector 7. I think the boy can be a smoke screen. You know, like, <laughs> like what am I supposed to do? And so I did what any good parent, any good father would do. I took my daughter by the hand, and I let him be alone with his mama. <laughs> I figured if he was going to act like her side of the family, <laughs> she spent some extra private time with it. They, I think they ended up getting kicked out of my house. I don't know, but me and my daughter, we got to see the whole thing. So we enjoyed it. We enjoyed the day. Yeah, but right? but our, our, our expectations were unrealistic. That mm-hmm. was our mistake as a parent, thinking that he would be able to, you know, handle this, particularly at the time, um, you know, where he was, uh, you know, he was too young. And so yeah. I think teenagers, they're going to do some things that sometimes we aren't uh, expecting. And I think the power for me of the concept of development, adolescent development, is that we can actually expect you know, that different things are certain going to happen yeah. and certain behaviors there, therefore we can be prepared for them. Yeah. And so that's, that's the thing for me. There was one other thing I think that parents make too. Yeah. Adrian. And that was uh, valuing teen culture and norms. I think that is hugely important. And something we lose sight of is that there is a culture and norms and kind of a code, so to speak, of what it's like to be a teenager. And that changes from generation to generation. And as parents, I think that we sometimes forget that young people have their own separate worlds outside of, you know, their household. And so I think that we have to be able to recognize that, whether it's dress or fashion, whether it's uh, language and all those things. And so being, or music, exactly, things that govern and dictate a young person's life. And we have to be willing to kind of step into that world to be knowledgeable of that world. So when a young person is coming to us, sharing their thoughts and their feelings around certain things that we value, that there is a culture and a norm that exists with them that we may or may not agree with. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You know, we probably need to, could do a lot better job at, you know, not only understanding, but also kind of valuing. I mean, I think that even when we kind of disagree, there is some value in things that we don't necessarily agree with or that we haven't necessarily been brought up as. And so I think when we are able to do that, uh, it really kind of makes the parenting process of a teen, number one, more enjoyable. Yes. Uh, but also I think that it also makes it more effective as well. Yeah. And a couple of quick examples. I already know that there's a there was a um, situation with a preteen Madonna that I deal with, and she was, her mom was, uh, let her have this choker, or it's a little fashion thing, it's a necklace, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's a, it's something that all the girls wearing, and me, because of the way I grew up, I thought that was too suggestive, like I, I just did not like it, but at the same time, I am, have always been of the firm belief I'll try anything once in the sense of I'll let you get away with once and I'll see if I'm comfortable with it. And it turns out that it really wasn't that bad. She's innocent. It's harmless. It's just Anything once? No. (laughs) Crack cocaine? No. (laughs) We just had this conversation, right? (laughs) And then uh, and her mom was like, no, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a choker. It's fashion. I was like, cool. Now, on the flip side of that, it came time for makeup. Mm. And we happened to be, I forget where, what city we were, we were visiting, and we happened at Sephora, is that right? Mm-hmm. One of yeah. the stores. And she wanted to try uh, eyeliner. And I was like, sure, no problem, go ahead. And her mom was like, wait a minute, you don't think that's, uh, you don't think that's, uh, she's acting a little too run? I was like, again, it's, it's part of the culture. So it was, and we start off with just eyeshadow. You could try eyeshadow and see how that works. And so now, uh, and also at home, just at home and see how it goes at home. <laughs> and we'll, we'll graduate to let you wear it in school. But I think giving those little bit of, those little baby steps of freedom, you know, uh, allows us to kind of help parent her together. And so mm-hmm. that's, yeah. And I don't have a choice when it comes to makeup and my daughter, because my <laughs> wife sells makeup on the side. Yeah. So it's like, I don't, and I always say, I don't want to see you in that because it could be too much. And I'm like, you're only seven, but the rule is, in the house. Oh my house gosh! Only. You guys see them shows with the little girls dancing? I mean, they oh, have the pageantry. Yeah, yeah. The oh pageantry yeah, the, shows. The, 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 those parents are full of makeup. Those parents are relentless. Yeah. Mm, uh, yeah. Speaking of that, any, did whatever happened to John Bonet Ramsey? Anybody ever get charged in that? I remember that. That was a while ago. Anyway, that was just made ago. me think of that. Just yeah. random thoughts. But one of the things to kind of give you a, a little bit better understanding of what I really kind of meant by an instinctive and an attachment parent um, being my parenting style is that 
I think our biggest mistake that we make as parents is we try to manage teenage behaviors yeah. rather than understand them. Yeah. You know, and managing really just kind of sets the stage for a fight. Yeah, um, and yeah. so I, I think that, you know, we have to kind of take different approaches in looking at um, behavior. So, you know, in thinking about, fellas, some of the uh, approaches that we kind of use to kind of parent, um, I, I think to set that up, for me, all behavior has meaning. Whenever uh, a young person or a child does something, it all has meaning. It, yep. it means something. They, that's their way of communicating. Uh, an, an infant, um, when they are hungry or they're tired or they need to be changed, um, they don't say, you know, hey, pops. <laughs> I got to use the bathroom. Can you, you know, can you, can you come change this diaper? Yeah. Can you rock me? No, they're going to cry. That's right. their way. Yeah. That's yeah. their code of letting us know that there's an actual need. Teenagers the same way, but they're not oftentimes going to cry. A teenager, you know, when they have a need, they're not going to come and say, father, come, let us reason together. <laughs> no, they would walk out the door. No. Yeah, they're not going to do that. They're going to leave. They're going to yell. They're going to shout. They're going to cuss. They're going to uh, try drugs. They're going to, you know, maybe be promiscuous. There's going to, there's a variety, a variety of behaviors, behaviors that yep. we consider negative behaviors, but that's their way of kind of communicating because all behavior actually has meaning. And it's really about us as adults figuring out how to crack their code. And every yeah. kid, every young person actually has a code. Not only cracking their code, but the willingness to crack the code because as adults we time as we get older we kind of get set in our ways because we're creatures of habit as humans and we don't like to rock the boat and be uncomfortable and it takes a lot for an adult to try to go back and step into the world of a young person and try to figure out why they are acting the way they are and I think that that is a hugely hugely important tip for our listeners out mm -hmm. there that you have to be willing to step into the world doesn't mean that yeah. you have to agree with the decisions or the behaviors that they're doing no. but you do have to be willing to step into the world yeah yeah, and there's an activity that I often do, you know, when we're together or when we're training. Um, I call it the please stand activity. And I kind of take normal teen behaviors just to help folks to, to remind folks that they've actually were a teen. And so I ask, you know, please stand if you've ever lied to your parents before. Everybody stand up. Yeah, everybody stands up. And, and when there is a person who doesn't stand up, I'll say, be careful. The people who aren't standing will lie to you, too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, how many of you have ever, you know, please stand if you've ever uh, been disrespectful to an adult before. Yep. You know, please stand if you've ever used profanity as a teen. Please stand if you've ever skipped school, you know, so thinking of some of the typical behaviors that teens d did, oftentimes we did those same things. And so, you know, like Adrian said, is that you have to kind of be able to step in their world to kind of remember that. And it's funny because, you know, my guess is th this was my truth. Tell me if you guys, uh, you know, there are certain things that uh, my parents did when I was growing up that I would say, I would go to my room, I would never say it to them, mm -hmm. oh, but yeah. I would always say that when I have children, I will never do this or that to my child. I've said it. All right. I've said it. All right. Yeah. And how, how many of you have kept that promise? I kept one. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was also the promise of, of making sure I was an active, an active father. So yeah. I, I know I kept that promise. Um, but I had so many influences. I, like, I had yeah. a lot of parental influences yeah. when you talk about. And if, I say, and if I could say, and I know this may slightly be an unpopular opinion out there, that I actually, the, the one small benefit, very, very small benefit of growing up in the system is that you are exposed to many different parenting styles because you are exposed to many different placements. And so it's like a catch-22. So you, yeah, it, it's extremely hard. So my first set of false parents were... Um, kind of older folks and they had a set system um, in place and I was a very very young kid when I came in I was like six or seven years old so you have this this older couple raising a six or seven year old by themselves on a farm in the middle of nowhere in, uh, in Georgia and then my second set of foster parents um, were a foster family where the entire house there were four levels to this house uh, in Dayton um, range from the little kid who was like two years old to the oldest person was a, a young person that uh, an adult that said that that was in their 30s and so their parenting style ranged because you know some were biological and some were foster and then my last foster home it was just a single mom 
Um, and so those different parenting styles uh, vary. And so what I did is I literally took from each little piece about I'd like to do more of this. If I were to ever have children, I'd like to do less of that if I ever have any children. <laughs> so I think that that's the very, very small uh, caveat to growing up in systems that you're exposed to many different parenting styles. Um, there's a lot of things, though, unfortunately, that I said came from that I never do came from my actual biological parents. Right. Um, that yep. I would never be this angry with my children like my dad was or I would never drink or talk to my children the way that my mom talked to me and those are certain things and it was unfortunate that the examples that I said I would not be most like came from the people that birthed me right versus those that uh, raised me or had yeah. a hand in raising me and sure. that's where and that's where most of my my promises came from like you said most in all the experiences with my placements were more of okay like you said taking a piece and really being this gumbo pot of a parent because of those experiences I didn't have many. I didn't have many of those of those promises. But then again, like I said, there was there were those few. Yeah. So let's leave the folks with some of our our best tips. Now, understand again, you know, these are things that you know we have found in our experience to kind of work really well with um, not only our kids but kids uh, that you know our kids' friends uh, and building relationships with them. You know. Um, nieces, nephews, other relatives, and young people who are a part of the system. As many of us, you know, I think collectively we have, oh gosh, probably 70, 80, 90 years of experience (laughs) (laughs) of working with kids, you know, in in the foster care system. And so, but what we found is that we think that, you know, these, um, or some version of these could really work with um, really just about any kid. I'll kind of start that. Okay. For me, um, I think my favorite one is, is, really just kind of finding ways to connect with young people. Um, And I think that the relationship that you build, you know, with them really kind of helps you to connect. A lot of times people think that, you know, I'm a a very passive or permissive parent and that kids can kind of get away with everything uh, because I don't necessarily see the behaviors or the negative behaviors as the um, end of the world. You know, I look at, you know, how can I understand this behavior? How can I understand what this young person is trying to communicate to me? And then how I can actually respond to that. And so my major job is to build a relationship, you know, and connect with young people. And, you know, of course, that takes time and there's a lot of specific things. I think that we are even thinking about doing an entire podcast on how to build relationships with with young people. Stick around for that, folks. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. I think that uh, to your point, I think that about connecting with young people, I think that that is so instrumental in the success of developing that relationship. So when you do have those hard times, you kind of are equipped to help deal with and they can come to you. One of the other Mm -hmm. things that you mentioned is something that we did a recent training um, at uh, my place of employment where an individual came and did a workshop about asset framing. Uh, and oftentimes in the child welfare system or oftentimes we take the negative behaviors of teens, which turns out to be, as they get older, ter- turn out to be very, very strong uh, attributes. Um, so a lot of things about the, the, the behaviors that is displayed or their personality actually turns out to work in their favor. They just kind of need to be honed and skilled and actually mentored yeah. on how to do that. Yeah. Uh, my, let me, go ahead. Let me, let me give the folks a, a, a visual representation of kind of what I mean. It's, it's really a mathematical equation. So for those of you who are mathematically challenged, this may be hard for you, particularly for those of you who hate word problems. <laughs> well, I mean, as long as it's not common core, we're good. <laughs> but it is it's basically... so many times. And I tell, I tell foster parents, kinship parents, and even biological parents, it's all the times that rules minus relationship equals rebellion. In other words, kids don't mind or don't do what you want them to do or don't follow your rules simply because you have a set of rules. They do it because there is a relationship and because they actually trust you. And so in that equation, the most important part is the relationship. So if you just have rules and you don't have relationship, you're going to end up with rebellion. And so you need to make sure that that relationship is the most important thing. And then they'll follow your rules simply because they trust you. And so you have to kind of build that trust with young people. Yeah. So my takeaway um, uh, is to be an unconditional supporter. And this actually did come from a biological relative. This actually came from my grandma, Essie, who was a fantastic, wonderful lady who provided um, kinship care, even when I didn't recognize or understood what kinship care was, because my grandmother actually raised uh, my first cousins. They lived with her. My grandmother was uh, was going to be responsible for me as well, um, but that didn't work out. But she had 
everyone in our family knows that she was everyone's unconditional supporter, but she had a special affinity for me in particular um, because of the troubles that I was going at, going on, going through with uh, my biological parents. Uh, and she always said, you are special. You are going to be something one day when you grow up. And so I have kind of taken that mantle and that uh, mantra going forward that no matter what, in whatever relationships that I have with young people, especially those of family and kids, is that no matter what you go through, you have one individual in the world who will support you no matter what. doesn't mean that they will always approve of the decisions or behaviors that you do, but you can always count on them for their support and, and no judgment. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I use the term biggest fan. I would always tell my kids that I am their biggest fan. They'll never find anyone out there that is a bigger fan yep. than I am. Jamal, what's well, the piece you want to take? Individual time. Um, I've wouldn't. Uh, there was an issue, not really an issue, but there was a time we took all the kids to the park. And mind you, with the travel schedule and just the home schedule with um, homework and kids' activities and things like that, I didn't realize how important individual time with each kid was. I mean, it's just yep. something you overlook. Yep. Um, but we were at the park, and my second son basically wanted to walk the trail with me, and my third son wanted to come with us. And my second son really got angry. <laughs> and he basically, he literally, but he pushed him. He pushed him and said, Angry no. slash jealous? Right. <laughs> angry slash jealous. He said, no, this is me and daddy time. Go play at the park with everybody else. And my, my third son is looking like, and I'm actually looking at it the same way, it's just a damn trail. <laughs> We're going to be looking at trees and leaves and rocks. I mean, okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I had to take a step back and really yeah. look look at his emotions and how he was presenting that particular behavior. Sure. Um, and then it just clicked, like, wow, I've I've missed something. Yeah. And I need to change it. Yeah. I, you, I know, think you know, birth quick. order is, like, really important. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't <laughs> give credit to that. Like, the, the oldest child gets some type of, you know, special treatment. The youngest child oftentimes get, and the two, two or the, the, the one in the middle, mm -hmm. um, oftentimes feel like they're left out. And so I think, you know, I that's the really child good. the worst. I was a little child, too. I didn't feel like it. I was but, to your, but to your point about time, I think that so often as we get older, um, that has always kind of stuck out to me is that, you could always wish you had more time with those certain adults who you kind of grew up with or you kind of went to for advice. So I think individual time mm -hmm. is very important, whether it's been an uncle or grandpa or grandparent, uh, coaches or mentors. I think that that is one thing that you kind of value the most when you grow older and you begin to kind of make your own way in the world uh, and you become an adult and you're responsible for other adults. You always kind of wish you can go back and spend more time and get more advice and just mm -hmm. a little bit more uh, attention from those people who are very instrumental, influential in your life. So that's a pretty good point, Jamal. Yeah. yeah. So before we, as we wrap up this particular segment of the podcast, I think it's important for us, you know, to remember that children grow up so, so fast. I mean, it literally is a blink of an eye. I mean, I can still vividly see, you know, when my children were born, you know, and 26, 23 years later, here we are. And so you don't want to waste your time arguing with your teen or spending time, you know, trying to figure out and manage every single behavior that they have. I think a better approach is really kind of understanding, connecting with them, spending time with them. You don't want to get to the point where you regret, you Absolutely. know, um, not yep. spending time and focusing on really the wrong things because it's really, really short. All right. We have a, this, this, fellas, this is our last one for the season, our Damn. first season. Yeah. And, Ooh, and we are wrapping up. It's it's exciting and and I just, I think I'm gonna miss the folks for our little brief break that we're <laughs> gonna have. I think we plan on coming back uh, in the fall. Um, so we'll take just a little sabbatical, uh, get some more content for you. We're gonna come back. I think I'm gonna miss them though. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, gonna miss you guys. But make sure you please stay in touch with us on all our social media platforms. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know some thoughts out there. And who knows, you maybe even be a guest on the show one day. That's right. Yeah, we're still gonna be active on social media. We will uh, be hopefully looking for guests in our uh, second season or second set of season. Um, but uh, stay tuned. You do not want to miss upcoming The Unpopular Opinion by Adrian. I promise you, I have heard what this is going to be. I can tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, oh, God. When... <laughs> You're listening this, to the it's Daily gonna, Jam. It's going to be a fight, and and it may only be two of us coming back in the fall after this unpopular opinion. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere.
are back with the last unpopular opinion of the season. And boy, <laughs> is it unpopular. <laughs> First of all, don't shoot the messenger. But here's, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but here's what I believe, though. I believe that the rich people are already paying their fair share in taxes. I really do. Um, I know that as we get ready to head into this extremely long presidential campaign season and as politicians out there currently running on the Democratic side saying, I believe we should tax the wealthy more and the rich more and the rich need to pay their fair share. And uh, I just I think that they already pay their fair share. They already pay the high, the, the high number among they pay more in income tax than anyone else does. Tax thread. Now, I I probably should have warned y'all to pull over y'all car if uh. you was in a car driving, because I'm sure somebody has just had an accident after you heard Adrian say that. And I please wish, don't mess up your cubicle. I wish this was a live show and you can call in, because I really want him to feel the wrath of America on this one. So, so you're saying to me, to us, to America... Yes. To our listening audience, yes. that rich people pay their fair share of taxes. Here, and here, let me back Wait, it up. No, with no, no, you don't have <laughs> your say. No, <laughs> no, my brother. <laughs> yes, I, I do believe they Warren do. Warren Buffett. Oh, God. That's, okay, Warren go Buffett has already said and made it clear that his secretary pays more in taxes than him That's one because of all of the loopholes. Right. Okay, so loopholes is one thing, but let me just point this number out because when we were in our pre-production meetings, you kept talking about percentages, percentages, percentages. According to Pew Research Center, for those making $250,000 or more a year above, 51.6% Pay income tax or income center of the ta- uh, or pay the income um, taxes in the country. Fifty one percent, fifty one six percent of their income is paid in income taxes. Over half their money is income taxes. Now compare that to let's say someone making between thirty and forty nine thousand, only four percent. Hmm. Yes. However, what that statistic is not telling you is that for those who are making more, you know, whose net worth is several million dollars, they don't pay anywhere near 51 percent, including people like Warren Buffett, who made it very clear that he pays very little taxes. But uh, the one percent of the wealthiest people, at least in, in the United States of America, pay more than half, close to 80 to 90 percent no. of the of the taxes in the country. Yes, they no, do. That's that a is, fact. That is not true. That, that is not true. No, that taxes is taxes based off percentages, right? Two hundred. That's the the people who make two hundred fifty thousand to a million. Yes, they pay about half of their taxes. You can't find name one wealthy person whose net worth is several million dollars who pays half of their income in taxes. Name one. Exactly. Well, I don't know them That's personally. my point. They, <laughs> but my point is, is that they don't because there's so many loopholes for very wealthy people that they get out. Because if that was true, there's no way that Warren Buffett could say that his secretary pays more in taxes. There's no, no way. No, he's, just, his secretary wait, doesn't here's make, the thing, though. I think that what you're you're getting the Warren Buffett thing confused with what he said. I think he said that her, her, her percentage, uh, her effective tax rate, doesn't mean yes. that she pays more, but the a percentage of her income. Yes, so more, that's more of her. So, it, just, so it doesn't more. mean. So it doesn't mean that she pays more in taxes than. No. She, then he does. And no, that's she doesn't point. pay more in, as far as money. The wealthy already pay enough in taxes. No. And, so, and that, so, and so, you're say, so you're saying it's fair for a person like his secretary for 30 plus percent of her income to go to taxes, but Warren Buffett less than 5 percent of his not, income? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is unfair. That is what you're saying. No, what I am saying. <laughs> that is what you're saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is that it is unfair to always say, let's go to the rich because they can afford it to pay for services for everyone. But, so it's, a di- but it? it's a difference between, it's, again, and I think this is what Mike's getting if at. If that's the litmus test, well, simply because they can afford it, well, then it goes no, back to no, a previous episode even, that we had where, it, Michael, you can afford to help your mama out. It's not. Yeah, I can't. I never said I couldn't. I so, never said I couldn't. That was a choice. But what he said, what he said now, and I get it. I see it clearly. 37%. Adrian wears glasses. That's why he can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> you got 30, 37% of an income this is true. going back to the government versus 5% going back to the government. 
Yeah, and, and I recognize that that but that five percent. Wait, wait, stop right now. Five percent of what? Again, because that's it doesn't matter. It does matter. It's of the income. No, exactly. It, it does. So it is. So five percent of five million versus five percent of thirty thousand. There's a huge difference. There is a huge difference in that. It's so, not so about that's, the that's amount a, of money. It it's is about, about the, the amount of money. No, it is about the exactly because it's not fair. It, it it you're talking about equity and fair fairness. It's not fair that one person will have to give half if of their income equi- and another if, person if only talk, gives a small, small, small if portion. Talk, if you're talking about equity and fairness when it comes to taxes, then what if you set a same set a flat rate like that's been suggested like before? Kane and, or and ben Herman Carson. Kane or Ben Carson. Mm-hmm. So ten percent. For everybody. For everybody. Okay, so ten percent of thirty thousand dollars a year is what? Three thousand. Three thousand dollars. But that's it was is that a lot of money to a uh, to a Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Ten percent of three hundred million. Three million? Is that uh, thirty million? Thirty million. Thirty million, yeah. Is that okay? Is that enough in taxes? You, do you, would you agree with that? Well, that's that's more than what they're paying now. No, it's the. <laughs> <laughs> but, what, yes, but, would it, but would it be fair though? Would it be fair because yes. it would? It would be fair because it's the same that be percentage. Would a percentage of their income? No, it's not. High, it's the same percentage. It's the same ten percent is ten percent. That's now, what God. You would say, that's now, what your God charges. Now, if you said that across the board everybody has to pay three thousand dollars in taxes a year. Then that would be that would be some bullshit. That would be equal but unfair. It would right. be equitable. That would be some bullshit because now you got a guy making fifty million dollars a year, only That's having not, to pay. I don't. I don't. I don't. Here's why I don't agree with that. And for the record, out there, listeners, I am not rich, nowhere near rich. I am actually extremely poor. Why are you talking like you're rich? Then? <laughs> <laughs> because I because I always think it's unfair because there because and I get that there is loopholes and I get that there. I think a lot of this is driven by the media as well and the narrative. Don't bring the media in this. You are penal. The way that we talk about taxing the wealthy now is that we are, and which is a very credible argument made by the uh, the Republican side uh, in our political system, is that you are taxing folks and asking them to pay more for being successful. Because I have no. more wealth, yes, you are. Because That's if not I true. No, let me finish, because if I have more money and wealth, therefore the government should take more of that money and distribute it for for those who do not have. You're That's luck- exactly what you're saying. You're, you're lucky that I am. I am. I'm practicing Buddhism or something, and I don't believe in <laughs> killing people. Because I tell you, uh, if I didn't, if I wasn't practicing whatever, and I, I believed in killing people. <laughs> Thou shalt not kill. John three sixteen says that. So. <laughs> That's one of the Ten Commandments, so, uh, fool. So you would be oh, dead t- right the t- now. The Ten Commandments is in John three sixteen too. <laughs> <laughs> Subsection D. Oh my God. That's right. Yeah. You just called and yeah. said the Bible had a sub. Never mind. Also known as Exodus, but um. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that's exactly what no, the argument is. If, I, if it was twenty five percent, if it was twenty five percent across the board, that would be fair. Yeah. So, 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 are, so, so why are we talking about fairness and equity, or are you just? I mean, because yes, you're right that that five percent of Warren Buffett's income that he pays is way more than the thirty seven or forty percent tax bracket that does I'm in Warren that Buffett, I actually does pay. Does Warren Buffett also donate millions? I would say they would say billions to charity as well. No, no, I'm saying though, does he? I don't he know. He does. I don't he does, know what that's Warren Buffett right. does, but that's but, but that's he, a has, he, has, he has to write off because if he I also donate ten percent of my income as well. But here's Here's one of the, the loopholes, though, and, and this is, and we all know this. The reason why the wealthy and the rich also donate a significant amount to charities is to get and the oftentimes tax it's their own charity, so it's not like they're even giving money away. It, it, they still have access to that money. That's fine. No, no they don't. it's not fine. They, they don't have, they don't have access fine. to that money for personal use. It goes oh, for the benefit of everyone. The Bill, Ma- the Bill and Mel- Melinda Gates Foundation has done incredible work that with their true. foundation. The, but they've also said um, that they don't pay enough in taxes. They've said, they've said that along they with... They have. Yeah. They have. So, my, ar- my argument isn't about pay- them paying enough in taxes. It is the argument that we always have to run to the one percenters and say, you're not paying your fair share. And they're not paying their fair share. Well, what, a- what, a- who determines fair? That's my what, argument. What everybody's paying the fair? same percentage. So if you're taking the same percentage out of your check as they do my check... Regardless of how much money we actually make, that's fair. Ten percent is ten percent of of someone's income. Then why hasn't that passed? If that was, if that's, if it's such an easy argument, why is that not passed in Congress? Well, because or people, signed, because people law. who are wealthy generally make the rules. Mm. Kind of mm. like your John three sixteen, the golden rule: mm. He who has the gold makes the rules. Mm. Mic drop. Mm. Let's go. You've been listening to the Daily Jam.
right, that's a great topic, fellas. But unfortunately, there's our cut music, so we got to go. We're out of time. Hey, we do this today. Ha <laughs> ha, but you only get it weekly. We'll see you next week on another episode of The Daily Jam. I know I jam, I know I jam, jam. Well, I'll jam, why don't you tamborine for me? Kaboom, kaboom, number two. Came on in, eight limbs and Tim's. Broke brim, smoked stems, hoop dogs with bit rims.